0: Fred Stella, president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. In this month of August 2020, I now celebrate 40 years here in Grand Rapids. Believe me, it was a bit of culture shock for this Detroit boy to plant stakes here. And I wasn't really planning on planting. My goal was to get back to Detroit fairly soon. See, I was working in radio as a disc jockey in Detroit, but a new station here offered me a position in a news talk format. I thought that after a couple of years in GR, I could head back to the Motor City and take some newly developed talents with me. Well, that never happened. Still here and really enjoying it. But one of the things that I really remember about those early days is learning about how deeply religious this community was. It seemed that so many of the people I met here took their faith, more often than not, very seriously. And it was here that I was introduced to the Calvinist Reformed traditions. Honestly, if if I met a Calvinist in my 25 years in Detroit, I don't know it. I came to understand that there were several Reformed churches. Christian Reformed, Reformed Church of America, United Reformed, Netherlands Reformed, Independent Reformed, and others. For the most part, I couldn't tell you anything that was different one from the other. But I was advised quickly that just a few verses from Scripture could separate entire congregations and create new denominations. Over the years, my knowledge of Reformed theology has broadened a great deal. Much of that is due to collaborating with Calvin University and seminary in our interfaith circles. But I learned so much more by reading the book that we're talking about today, London Street. It's the true story of growing up Christian Reformed in Grand Rapids throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It's a memoir by our guest, Jane Griffune, and I suspect that so much of what her experiences were in those days will resonate with a great number of people here in West Michigan. Jane was a guest here on Common Threads a few years back to discuss her experience visiting Charleston, South Carolina, after the terrible church massacre that took place there. Jane is a local author, a member of the West Michigan Writers' Workshop. She graduated from Calvin University in theology and English. Her works have appeared in Elysian Fields, 3288 Review, Perspectives, and the Mars Hill Review. So we welcome once again to Common Threads, Jane Griffune. Hi, Jane.
1: Hi, Fred.
0: So when I first heard about your book, I have to admit I was a bit hesitant. I knew that you self-identified as a Christian from our conversation about Charleston, but I don't think I remember that you grew up Reformed. So when our mutual friend Sheila told me you'd written a book about growing up CRC, I was afraid it might be one of those memoirs where authors discuss the horrible abuse they'd suffered, the dysfunctionality of their families, etc. Now, to be clear, we have done shows with authors who wrote exactly those books, but I have to tell you it was refreshing to read a book about a family where there seems to have been a lot of love and support. Honestly, I kept waiting for the chapter where you just walk away from everything. But spoiler alert, you don't. Um so but but at the same time this book is not like The Dutch Waltons. You know, what what <laughs> what makes it really nice and compelling is that you show uh, your upbringing, your family, your friends, your church, warts and all. Um, has this book been percolating? I'm going to assume it's been percolating in your head for a few decades now. Or uh, uh, Talk about the process, how you yes. decided to finally put this on paper.
1: It was a long process, but it was something I had wanted to do since probably the early 80s. Um My children were born at that time, and I thought, okay, no, I can't do this justice. So um, when they went to school, then I devoted myself um, to this project. And after the first draft, which was probably two months, is uh, maybe not even that long for me to just write it, but I had been putting it through my head for years and years and years. So I made work of it at that point. Um, It
0: seems like the names have not been changed to protect the innocent. Was that true in in all cases, or are some of the names different from real life?
1: Um, The family names have not been changed. I thought about putting a little thing in the beginning of the book. The names have been changed to protect the guilty, (laughs) but um, I didn't. So some of the neighborhood People, their names are changed just because they're pretty innocently part of the story, I decided, and never got permission, or they may not even know the book is available. And some of them are dead. Yes. (laughs) Conveniently. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are
0: are Walt and Tom two different people? Uh, Uh,
1: Your husband, I mean— My husband, Tom, is my— husband. Walt is not Tom, and he never was. That is the fictitious name of my first husband. I see. Okay.
0: Yeah, because it, you use Walt quite a bit. Obviously, you were married to this person whom you call Walt. Mm-hmm. And then at the, at, in the acknowledgments you acknowledge Tom.
1: I never thought about how people would notice that. <laughs> doesn't matter. Tom's the greatest. <laughs> Fine, He'll but, get it. <laughs> he does so, get it.
0: So I, I mentioned in my introduction that I learned um, a bit more about the Reformed tradition than I had before. One word that I'd never heard is antithesis. Well, I, I've heard antithesis, but not antithesis from a Calvinist point of view. And when I first first read it 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 sounded like an actual geographical location but but it it wasn't am i correct it's not correct. geographical all right you could you could live next door to somebody on the other side of the
1: antithesis you could so so explain that if you will um i try to do it justice in the first paragraph and i know that can't do it justice but throughout the story hopefully the reader gets a better picture of what my father's idea of the antithesis is, which was a line that separated believers from unbelievers, or actually true elect from not elect. Um, so there were people in the church that were still on the wrong side of the antithesis. Oh, really? Yeah. So this antithesis was invisible, um, but not if you knew your theology, you could pick it out. So that's what that first paragraph says. Um, I've wondered a bit. Oh, so it's not like Hegel's logical thesis, antithesis, synthesis. It's it's not like that. Although in the Protestant Reformed Church, where my father belonged before he married my mother, there was a, you could fit that logic into their theology, because I think there were more people that struggled with that and needed that to happen. So the synthesis then would be heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, um, yeah. So, but it is a real thing that was articulated by the Protestant Reformed Church especially. Um,
0: It doesn't come up in in Reformed conversation on a consistent basis?
1: Not anymore. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, But... Um, yeah, so there's a history, and I wrote down a few major things in that process, starting in 1834, when the church, the Reformed Church in the Netherlands split. It's called the afschelding, which means separation. And then after that, Abraham Kuyper came on the scene, and that was like 1886, 40 years later, Abraham Kuyper's known better in west michigan
0: well there's a college named after him
1: yes and so he started applying the theory of common grace it's way more complicated than that the the separation in the netherlands was against plagiarism i mean not plagiarism (laughs) well that's a bad thing too (laughs) yes i'm sure they were supporters of plagiarism yeah but um in the fifth century there was um an the Council of Ephesus was about original sin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then later in the 17th century, there's Arminianism. So all these splits and arguments come in to focus by the time Abraham Kuyper's on the scene. Um, and that's when the Protestant Reformed Church, after Abraham Kuyper, started speaking up about the antithesis and Abraham Kuyper introduced the idea of common grace, and that was just an anthema to the. That's to Arminianism. Herman Hooksma. Well, um, Abraham Kuyper wouldn't be Arminian, but common grace does talk about how God loves the rain fell on both sides of the antithesis. Okay. So. Um,
0: So there's
1: this—am I being clear? I think the story makes it clear, but uh, let me back up a little bit. So the Protestant Reformed Church said, okay, and there's particular grace, uh and it's only special, and it only comes to God's elect. And if you are not God's elect, then it's on the other side of the antithesis. And this is a worldview, kind of like Abraham Kuyper, too, a worldview that theater— wrong side of the antithesis this and that this and that and wrong side of the antithesis and, and so that's how my father unsophisticated in his 8th grade education
0: spoke sure sure and and from from your father's point of view and and the point of view of his peers um to if you had a great love say of Jesus and Christianity and all of that, but your mind was a, was was not fully formed with true Calvinist theology. Uh, was there still a chance that you might be elect, or did you have to have that fully formed correct theology to be on the right side of the line?
1: Um, you did not, because it didn't have to do with how well you understood or justification was about that's Calvin was about no merit. Mm -hmm. So yes, of course you could be on the right side of the antithesis. Okay.
0: How strong was the division between the RCA and the CRC back in your day?
1: Um, The CR, the RCA was first. Yeah. Anyway, um, it was strong in my upbringing. Mm-hmm. They didn't believe in or they didn't inf- um, encourage Christian education. They believed that you could belong to a union. Um, they, in my father's eyes, they were on the wrong side of the antithesis. It was just too much leniency.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads. I'm Fred Stella. This is WGVU. And my guest today is Jane Griffune, and we're talking about her book, London Street. Um, another thing, what was the controversy? Why was your father so concerned about your church? And and your church uh, back then was Granville Christian Reformed. Granville Avenue. Granville Avenue, Reformed, church, yes. yes. Not the city, but the street. Right
1: now, free. Roosevelt Park. Um, yes.
0: Yes. And he was concerned that uh, you had a choir loft put in. What's
1: the What's the problem with a choir loft? Um, he saw church service not so much as um, the congregation participating. The praises should come down as a group, or God should come down to us, and as a group we react. But the choir didn't include everybody. That was just some people. And so that was different than the congregation singing psalms, biblical responses to God's grace or to God's, or to the liturgy, in the liturgy. We didn't, um, my father didn't want hymns in the liturgy, just biblical songs, psalms. Sure. P-S-A-L, psalms. I understand, (laughs) (laughs) yep, yep. Okay.
0: I I will tell you this, one of my first Experiences in the uh, Reformed tradition was going to a a funeral at a CRC. And now they sang sang hymns, but uh, you folks really do sing. And I just remember when we stood up to sing How Great Thou Art, I was just blown away by the volume. People don't mumble through... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they know yes. the harmony. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It was uh it was pretty powerful. Why peppermints during
1: the sermon? Um it was the only allowable distraction. Not not distraction. It was allowed to um it's kind of like a baby has a pacifier. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were at least allowed peppermints because this was huge stuff going on here. Um, no, I don't know. We were. I think most families were allowed peppermints. That was a Dutch tradi- tradition anyway, and it had a calming effect on the stomach too. As a matter of fact, so
0: I guess it, it would. was
1: just a Dutch tradition that that was allowed. You couldn't use any other kind of candy, and especially not anything with paper because that would rustle. Right or no chewing. So you know. You had to be able to sing. <laughs> it's a good question. Why peppermints?
0: I I never knew anybody who had any sort of treat during a sermon. So oh. this is this is interesting.
1: Oh. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they were long sermons and long services. So uh, was it was it more that. than an hour? The service was typically an hour. The maybe sometimes longer. Um, And the sermon was probably the the main event. The bulk, yeah, that was the word of God, and and that was yeah. But in my father's tradition, in my father's upbringing, in the Protestant Reformed Church, it was even more so. The sermons were longer, and um, yeah. See, my father wasn't in the Christian Reformed Church until he married my mother. So, the Protestant Reformed Church in the Christian Reformed Church's eyes, are m- even more staunch, but in the wrong direction. Sure, sure.
0: Um, you, you write uh, quite a bit about, well, first of all, your mother's challenges. And uh, it, it doesn't take us too long to realize that she has some emotional issues and she needs hospitalization. One thing that's interesting you're very good in the book about the, the, the places that you mention really do exist. I mean, there really was a Granville Avenue Christian Reformed Church. Yes. There really is a, a Providence Christian Reformed yes. Church. And all the schools, Calvinator, all of these places. You never mentioned the name of the hospital. May I ask why?
1: I'm just, and we all know anybody in big. I just have so much courage. That was it. No more <laughs> courage. Okay. Uh, yeah. I. I didn't. I purposely started not to on purpose, and then later I thought, no, I, I don't need to.
0: That's true. You don't need to. You're right. People know what it is. People know. Yeah. If, if people in this area reading your book will be able to.
1: Yeah, and people outside it. the area probably don't, don't care. You need to know the name of the exactly. place exactly mm-hmm. and and
0: one thing that i find fascinating is you mentioned that when the minister would mention the people who are ill and who need prayer in the services your mother's name was never mentioned correct and May we assume that that has to do with the stigma that mental illness had back then?
1: Yes. Um, I'm hesitating. There may have been one or two references. I don't remember them, and I remember being angry that there was not. So typically, no. Mm-hmm. And even later with other members of the family. Other members of the family. What? Uh, the name. The the oh, hospital oh, was ooh, not mentioned for yeah. a-
0: anything having to do with emotional or mental yeah. instability. Right. Right. The, the, yeah.
1: Maybe it was purposely not. Well, I think it was different reasons. I think perhaps it was out of consideration as well. Not just. Oh, we don't talk about that. It depends who the minister was. It depends, uh, I don't know. Yeah, because
0: because if somebody didn't know, if they just mentioned, please pray for uh, Mrs. Refune, that people yeah. would be coming up to your father, go, oh, what's the matter with your yeah. wife? And yeah,
1: but they all knew anyway. They did. Oh, that was my impression um, the first time. I mean, a lot of the story is about my impressions about how people were to us given this situation and yeah no it was hush 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 uh, tell us about that
0: portion of the story where uh, you get you get a new brother that's not your brother could you just relate that I, I found that to be absolutely fascinating
1: um i was 10 years old i was in fifth grade and I came home one day and my mother announced that I had a new brother. And I thought, how cool. And um, I called my girlfriend to tell her right away, first thing. She said, well, how's your mom? And I said, she's fine, you wanna to talk to her? <laughs> she's sitting right here. And um, yeah.
0: So at that point you didn't quite know the facts of life.
1: I did not know <laughs> the facts of life. It never dawned on me. I. Yeah. And then? Well, and then over several years I don't want to give away the story. I learned that he was not my brother. And that was uh that was rather challenging for you. Yes. You you It was heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, yeah. You yeah. you didn't want to give up that that big sister role that you really you, you threw yourself into that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, I saw how it devastated my parents and my sister. I mean, it was complicated.
0: Sure. And how is he doing these days?
1: As far as I know, he's fine. I haven't seen him since um, the last funeral in our family, which was probably my mom's. Yeah, my mother died in 2010.
0: Um, What was it like growing up uh in a particular religious tradition that seemed to hold other religious traditions in in some form of contempt which might not have allowed you the freedom of friendship and participation uh in some things, but then again there were it seems like there were other things that you were allowed that is to say, you know you if you had any Methodist friends or Baptist friends or Catholic friends were you allowed to take part in the things that they did
1: not usually um except for on the street in the neighborhood i mean we played baseball in the streets and we played hide and seek and all the street games and stuff together as children. And we were from all different, mostly Dutch, but there was, you know, several. I don't, I think the first memory I have actually a friend who was not Christian reform was uh, one summer when we went to the cottage and the family next to us was Lutheran, and that girl and I became friends and became pen pals. That was difficult for my father, even. But really, he, but he did okay. It was okay.
0: But if if you were just going to play baseball in the street or something with the, with the kids, that really wasn't that much of a of an issue. No. And and you also weren't called by your faith or by your family. To bring people into the Reformed tradition, right? That just wasn't... Correct.
1: There were some in our congregation that felt the mission call, that were more missionary. Um, Not only did we not... Our family and our large family, some people in the Granville Avenue Church did, but um, not only that, but there was not even, how can I say, a big social conscience.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, there was. We loved our neighbors as ourselves, but um, so, yeah, mission, that got complicated too, because there, our neighbor man would, he was the Arminian in the church, he would sing far and near, the fields are teeming, and, you know, bring them in, bring them in. Um, That was hard for my dad, but Even the Protestant Reformed Church had missionaries, so Mm -hmm. that's probably not answering your question. (laughs) No, 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 it does. Okay. It uh, does, right, uh, right. Uh,
0: How about the other way around? Did you spend time with kids, not when you were five or six, but maybe when you were a preteen, teen, who were trying to encourage you to join their churches?
1: No, um, typically it was either people who were not churched, or people in our smaller circle.
0: And and do you remember the first time, other than somebody who just has no belief system, do you remember the first time you met somebody from a different religion,
1: like, say, a Jew? Um, yes. No, because that <laughs> didn't happen unless they were supposed atheists or no, we don't do church, or no, our family doesn't go, or that kind of thing. So it's more, more church denomination kind of stuff too, instead of Christian or non-Christian. I'm assuming I by the time you got to don't remember meeting a Jewish person for a long, <laughs> long time, or you know any other tradition, Buddhist or. Greek Orthodox even we couldn't even hang out with Roman Catholics you know yeah I I, I see that your father I,
0: I believe on more than one occasion uh in the book refers to them as idolaters so yeah, yeah doesn't want your daughter hanging out with an idolater uh, uh Jane we are uh at the end of today's episode but I'd love to have you come back next week and we'll finish our conversation
1: that would be great Thank you.
0: You're listening to Common Threads. I'm Fred Stellet. Uh, With me today is Jane Griffune, and she is a local author. We've been talking about her book, London Street. So please join us again next week right here on WGVU's Common Threads. I'm Fred Stella, president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we began our conversation with Jane Griffune. She is a local author and a member of the West Michigan Writers' Workshop, and she has a book out called London Street. It's a great memoir. And if you grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and if you grew up in any of the Reformed traditions, a Calvinist, then I think this will be of interest to you. A little bit about Jane. She is a graduate of Calvin uh, with majors in theology and English. Her works have appeared in Elysian Fields, 3288 Review, Perspectives, and Mars Hill Review. We welcome once again Jane Griffune.
1: Hi, Fred.
0: Uh, so last week, to, to recap, we've, we've been talking about your book, and your book is a memoir of you growing up, through several decades the 50s the 60s the 70s and actually you you touch a little bit into the 80s it does i'm old (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh and you grew up in the christian Reformed church uh this is a this is a book uh about exploration a book about family, and it's a book about tradition. I think I think you, you hit on, on all of those and more, really. Um, so let's talk about, about family uh, right now. From the book, I gather that while it was a strict family, it was a very loving family, and you, you speak very highly of your mother and father. Um, do you think that th- that it was your upbringing that led you to be so solid in the expression of your faith as a young adult. And and a little bit of background here for people who have not read the book. When you're growing up, when you become a teenager and a young adult, you do all of the things that all young adults or most young <laughs> adults do. Yeah. All right? Uh, you do not sit at home on a Saturday night and have three-hour Bible devotions. Now, do you, young lady? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Even right. though
1: my father said I should.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you're you dating, you're partying, and not to give too much away, but you party with a capital P. Sure. Uh, but you still make it to church every Sunday. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. What was it that that pulled you... Ian, what was it that pulled you out of bed on a Sunday morning after a delicious Saturday night and got you to church?
1: The compassion of the gospel, the um, the the emphasis that I was fortunate enough to have on, um, despite all the stern, all the Calvinist thing, there's a couple things. I'm, I was not brought up like second-generation Dutch people that we probably know now that are our neighbors. My mother was an immigrant. My father's parents came to America um, one year before my father was born. Long story short, we were not Puritan Calvin. Um, our My parents' friends smoke, drink, talk. Um, they were, piety was important, but it, they knew better. Everybody was a sinner, and obviously that we could see. And so the fact that these people came trusted God to forgive them, trusted God to be their refuge and strength. Through all these awful things that humanity goes through, um, we were a part of that, and I recognized that we were all just human. That was part of the reason that I wanted to write the story is because I was fed up with this Puritan Dutch image that was not the case in our family. And so um, that kept me coming back. It was the, we need something, we need some objective. We need, we can't be, our life can't be meaningful on our own. And so I couldn't articulate that at a younger age, but I still will say that, um, I am not ready to give up on God. I need a credible God, a a God who understands suffering. And humanity is all the same. There aren't levels of piety. There aren't—you're on this side of the antithesis, you're on that side of the antithesis. We all struggle with the same things.
0: When you you were a teenager and a little bit beyond— did you see a lot of your friends fall by the wayside and, and just uh, just put put religion away, specifically the Reformed tradition, but just you know put it in a trunk somewhere and and just move on with their lives? Did no, you? Did you? No, you didn't.
1: Not too many. I mean, they weren't. Um, they weren't what I call high church and sacramental like I am. They went to church for different reasons, but no, they didn't fall away.
0: You mentioned uh, the, 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 Puritan, the Puritan brand, if you will. When I came to Grand Rapids, I mentioned last week when I was introducing you that uh, uh, I had no clue whatsoever of the Reformed tradition coming from Detroit, all sorts of Protestants, but and uh, you know it's a huge Catholic city as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't know anything from about. Uh, I knew I knew something about John Calvin. That's about it. Mm-hmm. And so I had Calvinism defined for me by Calvinists and non-Calvinists, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. the people who grew up in Grand Rapids who were not Reformed and who had their own ideas, right. Mm-hmm. And I was led to believe early on that the Reformed tradition really was very Puritan. And they mm-hmm. were telling me things like people in the CRC didn't drink.
1: Well, <laughs> they didn't. Many. Mm, yeah, yeah. But not it, originally. <laughs> not originally? Well, not in the old country. Oh, okay. Uh, it got Americanized, Puritanized pretty quickly. Anyway, I'm interrupting what you're no, no. explaining. Uh, uh,
0: but you, you mentioned your, your mother's uh, s- sewing circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about that. I thought that was kind of fun. <laughs>
1: um, my mother didn't drive. Her, my mother's favorite friend and her older sister, the Aunt Jane, who I'm named after, lived in Hudsonville in the country on a little farm. So my other aunts and my mom would get together, one of them, Aunt Dinga, who's in the book, drove everybody over to Aunt Jane's farm every Wednesday night for what they called Sewing Club. Well, every aunt took turns bringing the Cracker Jack, they called it, which is <laughs> treats for the night, you know. It was Jack Daniels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. My mother's sense of humor is incredible. It's it's so dry and so kospodlich um, almost, which is close to blasphemous but (laughs)
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and and all another thing too of course is how sunday the sabbath is expressed and i'm sure that there is a wide spectrum in terms of what people think that they should do and Mm -hmm. what they Mm -hmm. what they think they should do and what they really do Mm -hmm. and you indicated a couple of um Perhaps contradictions. So, for instance, you said that your father did not go to church on Sunday night, and he seemed to be a very religious man. Why did he choose not to go back to church on Sunday night? That
1: was just practical. Somebody
0: had to stay home with the babies. I see. And you watched television. We did. Was that considered naughty?
1: Not naughty. Um, My father was somewhat of a walking contradiction. Um, He loved... Ed Sullivan and Walter Cronkite, and he loved a lot of that worldly stuff. But he was, you know, I think if he didn't have children, the TV would never come on on Sunday. But during church, we got to watch Lassie and the 20th Century with Walter Cronkite and so on. Um, and my father watched it with us, so he was the one that wanted to watch it, right. of course. Right.
0: And, and then there was the and argument. And he didn't feel
1: um, shameful or anything. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't have to draw the shades. No, no, and we did not drink in the basement. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we drank in the open. We served when the minister came. We served him a slokia, which is a little glass of brandy. Uh, you know, it was.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. And th- there was the other uh, uh, thing in the book where you uh, you get into an argument with him because you went to see The Sound of Music, and and he thought that that was too worldly. Yes. And let, let alone of course then all those nuns. all that Catholic stuff in <laughs> I know. There. Uh, and, and uh, he, you know he says to you, do they pray before the movie begins at the theater?" And you said, but do they pray before a baseball game because he liked baseball. Yeah.
1: They don't pray at Tiger Stadium. What's well, my comeback?
0: Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. so so clearly what he thought of as worldly, suited his own tastes am i am i correct on that
1: yeah but not individually i mean this was a protestant reform thing and a lot of the calvinists too you don't play cards you don't play devil cards and a lot of people that you know there was definitely some very strictness but some of the (laughs) weird things Especially like you, you can't wear pants on Sunday if you're a girl, and yeah, it's it wasn't consistent. Sure, but it was, it was there. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like
0: Walt Whitman says. So you tell me I have contradictions. Well, yeah. Yes, I do. That's life. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that uh, I, I recall that was fascinating. So once a year, he took you to Wealthy Park Baptist Church,
1: mm-hmm. which would have a totally different theology than yours. Not so total. My father was somewhat fundamentalist because he was a literalist. Um, but yeah, it was different enough, unusual. Yes, and and
0: what was his uh, what was his mission in, in taking you there?
1: He wanted to hear the the minister. Was what, that Otis what, Fuller? Yes, yes. It reminded him of Martin Luther King, who he had, my father admired, and he said, "I like that Fuller man. He's kind of like Martin Luther King." And we would go there every summer at least once. Yeah.
0: You know, I this is way before Common Threads, way way before. But we actually a, a group of people, and I had a an idea for a TV show, which would be like this radio show back in the early 80s. Oh. And Otis Fuller was the was our pilot. Oh, <laughs> Interesting. And of course, the only thing he wanted to talk about is the primacy of the King James Version of the Bible. Oh.
1: The- That's another good reason my father would like them. yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
0: if you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella. My guest today, Jane Griffune. She is the author of london street um, in the chapter on your your sister's marriage, you say she played the grandmother part quietly. I believe you're talking about your mother here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew right then and there what kind of woman she was, and it wasn't crazy what What does that mean uh, she that she played the grandmother part quietly. And by that, you observed something very genuine about your mom.
1: It was um, probably one of the most difficult days for my mom um, in that officially she was not the mother of Ronald Lee. And she was very poised and very celebratory and very quietly... um, I try to describe her arms around Ronald Lee when the photographer's taking their picture. Um, I forgot what you asked me. Uh, just it's, about what that line oh, about? Meant. And I knew she wasn't crazy. In other words, I knew, ex- sure, she had some really rough periods and so on and so on and all kinds of things, but the stigma that went, with her being in the hospital and stuff is what I was referring to. It's not like my idea wasn't crazy. I knew my mother wasn't mentally incapacitated. She, well, I mean, okay, so that's a whole other subject. What does that mean? But I knew she wasn't crazy. People there at Pine Rest in our things were either no faith or they were nuts. Not enough faith or they were crazy. And I knew... Neither was true at that point.
0: One of the one of the uh, areas in the book that I found a real education was your profession of faith, where you have to go in front of a, a panel of men. See,
1: I don't always remember all these things, but as soon as you say it, uh, yeah, and go, oh no, Are, yes, it, okay. It it,
0: it 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 sounds like a trial by fire for a doctoral dissertation. I didn't know that that's what people went through. I thought that when you were ready, this is this is my limited understanding, I thought in the Reformed tradition, when you're ready, when you say, yes, I want to join this church, usually as a young adult, young adult you just get up in front of the church and you say, I accept all of this, I believe this, and bada boom, bada bing. Not that you would actually say "bada boom bada boom." Mm-hmm. Right. It would be nice, yeah. but yeah. you probably
1: don't. No, there wasn't altar calls or anything like that.
0: So. No, no, no. I, I realize it's not an altar call, but it is something. This is what I thought happened. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so you tell me, tell me, tell us all the real story how a profession of faith is made.
1: Um, it's made after you go through all the catechism, and it, so first of all, we're all baptized already. Yes. Okay. Which makes. Something of a difference, as far as what profession of faith means, so um it's like confirmation you're right um, the steps are way too long for me. I mean, you have to read that chapter and the chapters before that, but you go through catechism, all your elementary school, and so on, then you graduate to Heidelberg catechism, straight Heidelberg catechism, and then. Um, Yeah, you have to go to the consistory. And usually the catechism classes went in groups, and that's what that was out in the hallway. That was my catechism class. Mm -hmm. But then we're called in individually to uh, make sure we're not there under pressure. You know, like my mom and dad said I had to do this or anything like that. Right. Um, We were there to... Acknowledge we wanted to be a member of the church. Yes. It wasn't even so much Jesus is my personal Savior. It's I adhere to this church, and I want to be a member of the covenant of this church. Yes. This- but, but your your
0: experience, and, and people will read this— was, I believe, more challenging than some others. Well, that
1: was my father's fault. You're right. Because <laughs> <laughs> he happened to be on the board of inquiry. On the, he happened to be in the Inquisition on the other side. The Dutch Inquisition.
0: We only <laughs> yeah. heard about the Spanish, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, of course, he planted this seed because you were dating non-reformed boys.
1: Oh, yeah. That was awful for him.
0: And and uh, so one of the questions you had to answer was, why are you doing this? And, and, and you had to give reasons. And, and quite frankly, I thought you answered quite impressively. And I think they thought, regardless of whether it was right or wrong, I think that from what I read, that you impressed them with your logic. But now that I have you here, what? Uh, why did... They think it was so wrong, and you not think that there was any issue. I mean, were you—let's put it this way. Were you open to marrying somebody outside of the Christian Reformed Church?
1: Yes. Um, I don't think the rest of the consistory members, the men, the elders, would have been as devastated as my father if that had happened. Um, I'm not saying that's what they would approve of. I think they would, you know, they wouldn't make it a matter of confession of a profession of faith like my father did.
0: Right, but the the, the second part of the question was, at that age, would you have been open? I mean, if you're dating, oh yes,
1: I would have. I still am. I mean, (laughs) I'd be open for that.
0: Okay, okay, and would you say that? most of your friends in your generation would, would feel the same way or was, oh, was that I can't a minority for view? them?
1: I think some were, um, sure. Cause some, many of my friends did marry outside of the Christian reform church. So yeah. Um, it wasn't as big a deal as my father made it to be.
0: I'm jumping around a little bit here, but, uh, one one part of the book, you talk about your—I believe it was your grandfather's store that burned down? Yes. And he didn't have insurance. Correct. Was that a religious thing? Yes. Can you
1: explain the— He just believed in God's providence. and um, It wasn't that he couldn't afford it. My, my um, father's parents were qu- quite wealthy, actually. So, yeah, it was a religious thing. But it was
0: theological. Yeah. It was— it was a, a personal—
1: I know it's hard to separate in our family theology from belief, but yeah, <laughs> it
0: was both. <laughs> and and you, you mentioned before, when, uh, last week we were talking about the difference between the Reformed Church of America versus the CRC, and you said that they believed in unions. So, so you grew up understanding that to belong to a union was against the will of God, is that— It was— um...
1: Yeah, it was on the wrong side of the antithesis. People were on the wrong side of the antithesis. If they they had to pledge if you were a member of the union. And so I think and my father was thinking also of Mason and so on and he the but no, that that the Christian Reformed Church wasn't just my father. Unions were not appropriate.
0: No, no, I realized that. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. sorry.
1: I misunderstood your question.
0: Uh, yeah, I was talking about the, the, the Church itself, not just your father's okay. opinion. Yes, I, I I seem to recall uh, studying the history of Grand Rapids in the early 20th century when there was a significant uh, fight for unions and how theological that argument became with some churches and ministers on the side of the unions and others— yeah on the yeah. side of the business owners. Mm-hmm. and uh, Christian
1: education was another biggie. Split, you know, between the two denominations.
0: Right, right. And, and uh, how did you educate your children?
1: Uh, my children went to Christian school, private school. My children were not brought up like the second-generation Dutch pictures we have of, for example, um our um Secretary of Education does not that is not how we are um in in our Christianity um Kuiper and so on and so on. Sure I was a Kuiperian, I know all that stuff. It is not like that. And our Christianity is not like a lot of private school ideas. Now, um, when my kids were in high school, my husband wanted them to go to the Christian school, and that was fine with me. It was easier that way, and they had a great education. They, mm-hmm. by that time, when I went to Christian school when I was little, uh, my education wasn't that good, but anyway, really, uh, not academically. No. Oh, anyway, um, so my kids were brought up in. they went to
0: the Christian school. Mm. Uh, What I found interesting here when, again, when I moved here and sort of getting the lay of the land is that your denomination uh, was able to sort of trademark the word Christian when it came to schooling. So, for instance...
1: To the point where my husband, Tom, thinks that that's the same. And I have to keep saying to him, it is not the Christian Reformed school. It but, is not.
0: <laughs> but, so for instance, if somebody could say, uh, if, they, if their kids went to a Lutheran school, they would say, I'm, my kids go to a Lutheran school. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't say, my kids go to a Christian yeah, school. Yeah, and I
1: just did that too, didn't I? Yes, you did. I have to say a couple things here a minute. I am no longer Christian Reformed okay okay i want that to be part of this conversation yes um for better or worse
0: but you're are you still part of the reform tradition no oh okay
1: but i love my tradition and my history uh yeah okay and Uh, i yeah okay we'll call it at that for now (laughs) that's fine so so uh
0: uh, very quickly because we only have how much how much we have just a few minutes left okay uh I want to make sure that if people are interested in finding out more about you and what you've published, uh, that they can find you on the web. So you have your own website. Quickly give us the address.
1: www.janeegriffune.com. So it's janee griffune.com. And yes, um, uh, I also want to thank the West Michigan Writers Group for all they did to make this happen. Um, this happened with a, over so many years. That's not just them. But if anybody is interested in my story and in writing and um, get to know a lot, a lot of p- good writers and good people who aren't all Christian. <laughs> what a wonderful group this is! Um,
0: and and how can they learn more about that um, online?
1: Uh, West Michigan. Writer's workshop, and we meet every week Wednesday at the public library. Except for now, um, the libraries are not open, so um, it's been where we have all withdrawn. Our <laughs> it's really hard not to get together. So we're together online, but it's are you just, doing Zoom
0: meetings or no? Or we don't want to do Zoom,
1: so we just um, email. A, we have a group email, and we rotate and stuff like that. But so about writing, the, you have to have a writer's group. And I was, after my MFA, at the time I started this writer's group, and this writer's group was the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't have an MFA, and I don't regret <laughs> no. Okay.
0: Well, so, that's wonderful. It's, I'm yeah. sure that the people who are interested in writing here in West Michigan would uh, want to check that out. Yeah. Jane, we are uh, down to the wire for this episode. I want to thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for And I wish you the best here. of
0: luck in the book. It really thank is you. a very compelling read.
1: Thank you so much. Certainly. You're listening
0: to Common Threads on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella. Jane Griffune has been my uh, guest today talking about her new book, London Street. Please join us again next week, right here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University.